This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. And welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm O. Sampson Folk, and today a very special guest because there is a very large group of alumni from Raptors Republic that have gone on to great success, a great many things. And we have a member of that alumni joining us today, just left the site. If you were around for the past, I don't know, eight months, you probably saw a lot of his video creation. Fantastic. He, he had Whose Take Is That Anyways, which was a, a huge hit with Raptors Republic. He now works at The Score, S. Bear Haney. And he's, he's one of my favorite people doing it right now. And I'm excited to see what he comes up with The Score. S, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. That was, that's, it's so weird being on the other side of this. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been like, I've done maybe three or four podcasts before, Raptors podcasts. Um, and it's, it's always weird being on the other side of this doing the introduction. So it's kind of cool to get my own introduction. It's, I feel, I've, I feel nice right now. I'm not going to lie to you. This is, this is nice. It's always nice to see what people have to say to you for an intro. You see like, okay, what are the titles? What comes along with it? Yeah. You know, are there any superlatives or adjectives that you can attach to me that I can kind of, you know, blush <laughs> at? But the first thing I want to talk about, S, and it is relevant to basketball, but it's also relevant to your law degree that you got at Liverpool University. Yeah. And so since you have one, I think we have, I have to, to, I have game to preface of- this. I have to preface this. Okay. Okay. I, I, I did not finish my law degree. I'll, I'll put that out there right now. Did not finish it halfway. And, and we can go into that later if you want, why I didn't finish. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I have to preface with the fact that I completed half of my law degree. I could go back and do it anytime I want to. Actually, they've said I could go back and do it anytime I want to, but I've opted to not continue to become a lawyer. Yeah. So, okay. So you have enough knowledge to know the terms sustained and overruled, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. I got you. Okay. So if you agree with the statement, you say sustained. If you disagree, you say overruled and it's rapid fire style. These are not opinions I hold, by the way. I'm just asking the hard questions like a coward. So are you ready for a game of sustained or overruled? Yes. I'm ready. Let's do this. I'm excited. Okay, <clears throat> line up the questions, insert music to play over, and go. Damian Lillard is better than Kyle Lowry. Overruled. <gasps> the Nets will have a better record than the Raptors. Overruled. The Wire is better than Breaking Bad. Overruled. LeBron James will finish his career as the GOAT. Sustained. Pascal Siakam is better than Rudy Gobert. <laughs> Sustain. <laughs> Phoenix will have a better record than the Warriors. Uh, Sustain. Yeah. Jamal Murray will be a Raptor at some point in his career. Sustain, baby. Sustain. Okay. A very pro Raptors uh, run through sustained or overruled. I like, and, it. Uh, I like it. Yeah. 
listener, if you're looking forward to another game of this, we won't be doing it. It's tailored specifically for us. So <laughs> we're going to get into actual basketball stuff. Chris Finch used to be an assistant coach over for the New Orleans Pelicans, vaunted as one of the best offensive minds in the NBA, joins mm-hmm. Nick Nurse's staff after many people thought he would probably be going for a head coach spot somewhere. Speaks to the Raptors organization that they're able to accrue so much talent on their coaching roster like that, a place where there's no salary cap, a place where the organization standing in the league matters a lot. Chris Finch comes in. He's famous for his offense. He talked a lot about being unpredictable in his, his interviews, and he talked about how you need to mix a lot of what you're doing in the NBA. Who benefits most from what he was talking about on the Raptors roster? Uh, I mean, if you look at what he did with New Orleans and specifically last year, and I was looking at a lot of the plays that he was running for Brandon Ingram, um, I think the the guy who can clearly benefit the most, and if you listen to his press conference with the Raps, his, his media day press conference, he talked about it a bunch too, Pascal Siakam. I think it's clear that what he kind of was brought in to do was to open the floor for Pascal a little bit more. Um, you know, he emphasized a lot on spacing and creating space for, for creators and playmakers. And he also mentioned that Pascal is one of those guys that he wants to kind of get into that position of creating plays for others, becoming a playmaker himself. So I, I think in a lot of ways, he's probably envisioning a, a, an offense where Siakam is the guy running the show. And I think a lot of Raptors people, you yourself included, are excited for that. You know, that's just, it's something that we're, we've all been kind of wanting for and, and hoping that it happens eventually. Uh, I think Nick Nurse kind of put Pascal through the ringer last season, um, whether you agree with what he did or not. Uh, he, he made it a little bit more difficult on him, I think, by purpose, like, or on purpose. But at the same time, I would say, you know, uh, Chris Finch, in terms of what he did with the Pelicans, although the Pelicans were pretty much on par offensively, they were a couple of slots down in terms of offensive rating with the Raptors last year. Um, they don't have the necessary offensive tools that the Raptors do uh, or the offensive players. And, you know, one of the things that he mentioned was cutting, which is something that I found really interesting because the Raptors have a lot of great cutters, whether you think of OG, Pascal when he's off ball, um, even Norm is a great cutter as well. So I I think those are kind of the keys that I've kind of noticed from what Chris Finch is bringing over. Um, He always mentions this corner offense. And I was, I actually, yesterday in my, in my research for this podcast, I was, I was looking at the, uh, he he was, I think he was doing it for Great Britain, like FIBA basketball, something like that. But he was showing what his corner offense methodology is. And it's pretty much make sure the wings are deep and wide on the corners so that whoever is the creator pretty much at the top of the arc can, can initiate in any way possible. And I think in a lot of ways that creates so much space for Pascal to operate and do his thing in the middle that that's the guy who's going to benefit most. Siakam's going to eat this year, in my opinion. Yeah. Another thing to add to is that not just Pal. OG and Siakam, but the Raptors guards more so than most teams, in the NBA to the relocation, which is a different type of cutting because it's, it's tangentially connected to being on ball and then it's like right off ball. And, but they also do that too. So that's important to know, but you're talking about the corner offense. You're talking about cutting specifically for Pascal Siakam. If you have to put on the Chris Finch assistant coach, you're the head of the offense cap. What are the permutations that you're looking for? What do you want to see from Pascal this year? 
Well, I mean, I think the first thing is to get him to be the ball handler in the pick and roll, uh, get him to, like, like he even said in his press conference, to be the playmaker and, and get him to got, be the guy who's initiating the offense more so than the guy who's setting the screen or the guy who's standing in the corner waiting for the pass. I think he should be the guy that's, that's kind of running the show in a sense. Um, and I think that kind of adds a, a certain bit of unpredictability to the Raptors as well, because if you have Siakam there, then you have a guy like Lowry off ball. You have a guy like Fred Van Vliet off ball, and those guys are great catch and shoot guys. Um, so it just, it just adds another level of unpredictability. If you have Pascal, a guy who's supposed to be your technical power forward in a sense, be your, be your main playmaker, he'd be kind of a point forward type situation. And I think that's what he, they're trying to mold him into anyways. I think Finch is, is kind of the perfect guy to do that this year. I hope he stays for longer, to be honest with you. A lot of people think this is kind of like a, a stint in the road for him, for him to be able to find a, a head coaching job. But I hope he stays for longer because it'll, it'll, you'll see it translate into Pascal's game. Okay, and another question. It's regarding OG and Pascal. I'm not mm-hmm. sure about the genesis of this idea. I'm certain a lot of people came to the conclusion at the same time. I've been talking about it for, you can go reference like a year ago, writing about this. Sorry, not a year ago. Uh, probably like nine months ago, I've been writing about this. I know Robel. Like <laughs> I know Robel has talked about it for quite some time, as has Blake. I, I'm not well-researched enough to know who was the first person. And like Assad on Twitter, like Swarlazers, he's talked about it before. I'm not mm-hmm. sure who the first person was. I would credit them if I knew. But the idea that you're going to invert Pascal and OG. Like Pascal is the wing. OG is the big. And of course, yeah. if OG develops a lot more of his on-ball skills, then they both can start playing like prototypical wings. But what do you think of that situation? Is that accurate? Are we overrating Pascal's on-ball skills? Is he still a four? Or does none of it matter because it's positionless basketball? Uh, a little bit of both, to be honest with you. Like, yeah, it, it is positionless basketball. And the way the Raptors play, like, you'll, you'll see them play a lot of small ball this year just because of the, I guess, lack of depth they have at the center spot between Aaron Baines and Alex Len. And if you want to throw in Chris Boucher in there, um, I do think they'll close out a lot of games small ball. So in a sense, yeah, it is positionless basketball. And, you know, defenders all around in that small ball lineup so they can switch pretty much on anything uh the one thing i'll say with the whole og pascal swap and by the way i love your verbiage you just you throw out words like genesis and it's just like come on man. <laughs> like like come on you you got slant death jam poetry going on here and it, it's a raptors podcast it's just it's incredible stuff ladies and gentlemen if you're halfway through this podcast i would say subscribe to the raptors republic for sure, because Samson's throwing out great verbiage here. Anyways, um, the, what I was going to say with the swap between Pascal and OG is um, it, realistically, in a lot of ways, uh, Siakam's growth as a wing player is predicated 100% on how he develops his ball handling. Like, that's, that's, just, that's just how it's going to be. At the start of last season, we saw him, you know, it, it, it seemed like he was progressing, but then it, it fell off in the bubble. And, you know, you can have your reasons for why that happened and everything like that. But I think it's it's all predicated on what kind of ball handler he develops into, what kind of handle he has. Is he going to have a tight handle? Is it going to be good enough for him to uh, create space for his own shots? Can he be a playmaker with that handle as well? Can he create for other people? Um, and it all predicates on that. You know, I was talking to a couple of guys, shout out to Hoop Goose and Pack Tech. Uh, you know, they were, they were pretty much saying his jumper 
is all predicated on how he he gets that handle and how he pretty much sets up his shot because it's all about feet positioning, making sure that obviously you're square to the rim and everything like that. And his if his if his handle isn't tight, right, he will not be able to get those shots off. They'll all come awkward and, and janky, and it'll look like it kind of did in the bubble. Um, I, I think it all depends on his handle, man. If if he can get that right, and if he can get to the point where he can get that to an elite level or even a a, a good level, then he can be one of those wing point forward type of guys, kind of like Ingram was. Because if you look at Ingram last year, and these are the two differences, I see a lot of people comparing, like, oh, Pascal's going to turn into Brandon Ingram, uh, Pascal's going to do this because of Chris Finch, and like two things are very different between Pascal and Brandon Ingram is that Brandon Ingram shot almost forty percent from three last year. Uh, Siakam was around 35, I believe like he was still a pretty good shooter, but Ingram was, was on another level in terms of shooting. So, I mean, he has to get his shot a lot better from behind the arc. And I think a lot of that has to do with his, his pull-up dribble as well. It just, it all goes back to how tight of a handle Siakam's going to have. Um, when it comes to OG though, I'm ready for Ben Wallace, man. I'm, I'm ready to give him the, <laughs> the center spot right here. I don't mind. Um, I think it's awesome. I, I know. I think it was too much hoops. Shout out to Brad who, who brought up a video of him grabbing a, a board over Jared Allen, doing a spin mm-hmm. move and then just yamming it on top of him in the nets. And like, like if we could get that on the regular, like that's, that that's incredible for, for a guy like OG. And he has the strength. He has the, the defensive uh, prowess, I guess, if you want to say to, to be able to do it. So yeah, I, I like, I like the swap. It just depends on Siakam getting that handle type. Yeah. You brought up a few things that transitioned me from host to conversationalist. So we've <laughs> entered the conversation, I think at this point where we're going to start trading ideas. So you brought up, I think four very interesting ideas is OG Ananobi's rebounding, which I find fascinating the Brandon Ingram and Pascal Siakam juxtaposition. Uh, my verbiage, which thank you very much. And uh, the last thing is Pascal Siakam's ball handling and how that affects his jump shooting, especially the pull-up. So Pascal Siakam is a guy who aligns his right foot, right knee, right hip, right elbow, and has close to a push shot at the top, and he's a set shooter. So the biggest difference between him and Ingram as far as their fundamentals and their mechanics is – Siakam is really built low in his jump shot and Ingram is really built up top in his jump shot, which means that Siakam probably going to be more consistent over his career, but it just, it really limits him as a three level scorer. So I don't know. I like, I expect Siakam as far as like post fades, which we've seen him make before. He obviously has great control there. He puts the knee up. It's not Dirk, but it's Dirk esque. (laughs) Not, not when we're talking about the arc of the shot, but Dirk esque. And if we're talking about him making shots from the mid range, I would expect like an advanced extended floater or runner before I would expect really high volume mid range pull-up jumpers. So, and the thing about him controlling the ball is that if he's aligning the right side of his body, if he's not able to comfortably use the ball to convey himself around the floor, then he's not going to be able to get into his, his space that he likes to pull up from, which is something you noted. And the, the last thing is OG Ananobi. And I'm going to ask you this question because it's not relevant to the Raptors at all, but, you know, it's, it's relevant to me. Okay. OG Ananobi has that ceiling of go grab the ball as it orbits the moon. Like, it's way up there. Yeah. And as you said, Ben Wallace. Like, he has that rock-hard body, and he can bang around when he decides to. 
It's not yep. his, it's not something he wants to do all the time, but defensive rebounding, something the Raptors struggled with last year. And I think the Raptors as an organization thought we have the tools to just ameliorate immediately. We'll get better at defensive rebounding because we'll just try harder. Do you think defensive rebounding is just like a try skill that you have guys like OG Ananobi who one game can go from eh, an okay rebounder at his position to starting to play in the playoffs? Suddenly, like a guy like LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George, all these guys start rebounding way more. Is that what defensive rebounding is? Is it overrated as a skill? What do you think of that? Yeah, that's, that's actually something really interesting you bring up. And the first thing I think of is, uh, I think it was Stan Van Gundy. He was breaking down the, the Nick Nurse defense. Uh, and he said pretty much the, the, the zone defense that we like to run, the Raps like to run, it kind of reduces the chances or, or makes you a worse rebounding team. It's just, just because of positioning and, and obviously you don't zone in general because you're not necessarily attached to a body. You don't have someone that you can box mm-hmm. out. It, may, it makes it a little bit more difficult to rebound. So I, I think that in itself for the Raptors specifically, it's, it's harder for us to rebound. But I do think we'll, like, they'll, they'll be a lot better this year just because Aaron Baines is a, is a better rebounder. Alex Len is also a really good rebounder. And then you said the development of OG. It's just they're going to be a better defensive rebounding team. In terms of it being important, that's, that's an interesting conversation to have because you could argue that defensive rebounding is like the uh, – the least important trait of, of, of all the basketball skills and, and qualities that you look in for a championship team, you don't necessarily need to have an elite rebounding team. I, 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 I'd have to look into it more, to be honest with you, to, to like fully say what I would feel. But I think rebounding is a overrated trait, in my opinion. I do think it's like, you know, it's, if you can outrun a team and and just get that outlet pass. Obviously, you need to get a rebound to get that outlet pass, which is fair point. But um, yeah, I, I think it's kind of overrated. What do you think? Do you think that it's overrated? I do because I think it's something that because it isn't viewed at, on the hierarchy of what is important in basketball, right? Three-point mm-hmm. shooting went from bottom tier to mid-tier to absolute top tier. Yeah, defensive rebounding went from arguably top tier to bottom tier around the same time. Hmm, I wonder if there's a coincidence there. <laughs> Long rebounds abound. But when we're talking about how it's transitioned, I think still the casual fan, which isn't a pejorative. Casual fans are good. You watch the game when you want. You enjoy the team. Do your thing. Yeah. Casual fans, I think, oftentimes can be upset at the lack of rebounding. Because as a fan, you're like, oh, just grab the rebound. There's nothing more frustrating and you can clearly point to the guy who didn't get it and you can say like oh this guy I can't believe you didn't get the board and players and that's why I pointed to Kawhi who his rebounding numbers in the playoffs much higher because during the regular season you know that's one of the things I think just ratchets up by a lot in the playoffs is in the regular season Kawhi doesn't want to go bang around and grab boards mm-hmm. in the postseason he's posting with the Raptors basically a double-double almost every night because yeah. he's going to go, like he hunts offensive rebounds way more often. He's way more active on the defensive glass. And so I've always viewed it as a skill that people just assume they can start getting and start doing. But as you said, the Raptors, you know, the zone defense is a big part of that too. So whether I'm viewing it as like the Raptors weren't able to do that in the playoffs this year because it still bothered them, yeah. I think 
it's probably related more to what you say about zoning up. You're not attached to a body. You have to have five guys all at once recognize exactly where they need to be and hunt the ball, which is a big ask rather than thinking that my hypothesis of you can't just get better at it in the playoffs is makes no sense. I think you make this. I think offensive rebounding is more important than defensive rebounding just because you get extra possessions, right? I, I think the league might be trending towards emphasis on, on offensive rebounding rather than defensive rebounding. Cause I, I just, I think that just offers more for your team in terms of an extra possession to get a bucket. I, maybe, maybe I'm looking into it too much. Maybe we're thinking overthinking it, but I don't know. It depends probably on the team. Like the Raptors were a good team defensively relative to you know usually teams score a lot on second chances because Mm -hmm. the defense has collapsed in weird ways and especially from the three-point line but the Raptors as far as their coverage were uniquely it's uniquely advantageous for them to cover a lot of spots on the floor maybe most by Pascal Siakam who just contests shots like a madman but it depends how good your team is at defense I guess and how good they recover that what the trade-off is. But as far as offensive rebounding, uh, Alex Len was one of the, like, the highest percentile yeah. uh, tip-in guys or put-back guys in the league last year. So maybe there will be some S uh, Easter eggs all year that you can look forward to. I got you. Um, talking about Pascal Siakam, we'll move on. I, I'm sure we'll talk about this later on after we've both researched it in a podcast down the road. Pascal Siakam. Okay. A guy who... A lot of Raptors fans all year last year were like, holy smokes, this guy has become a borderline top 10 MVP candidate. He's kind of, he's accelerating towards the top 15 player in the league. He's in conversation, not with Ingram, but with Tatum at his peak. Yeah. As we know, Tatum is a monster. I think Tatum will end up being like a top five MVP guy someday, maybe even get one. He's really good. So for Siakam to share that same conversation, despite being older, really, really impressive. As you said, tough bubble, really tough bubble. But in his press conference, he had comments regarding enjoying the game and how that was something that he didn't have, and it really affected his play style. The mental part of basketball is homogenized around the killer instinct or mamba mentality, variety of mental toughness, I think. The sentiments Siakam expressed are likely more frequent for players than they're typically expressed. I would guess. For Do you sure. expect yeah. Siakam's comments to be emulated by other players in the future? Um, I mean, I think he wasn't necessarily the first. Um, I, I think, you know, if you if you go back and you try to link it to mental health and you think of the DeMar DeRozan and the Kevin Loves who have, who have expressed that, you know, they've struggled, even though they, they enjoy the game, to, to find the love in the game at a lot of times. Um, and I think... It's it's funny you mentioned the mama mentality because that's something that's so linked to late 90s, uh, even during the 90s, early 2000s game where everybody is just like, yo, I play 82 games, son. I don't miss Corey a McGetty. game. Oh. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like Corey McGetty. Um, you know, I, it just it feels like that that mentality is wearing off. And I think it's just because we learn so much more about the sport and we learn so much more about how mental health is so much more important than, than anything else in a lot of ways. Um, and, and it's, it's important because Pascal expressing that will probably give the avenue for other players to express certain things like that as well. I'll say this though, in terms of the fun of the game, enjoying the game, that's probably like the most important part of, of this whole thing, because 
if you don't enjoy the game, then you won't enjoy practicing, then you won't enjoy getting better, then you won't enjoy finding the the passion, the drive, the motivation to get up and, and play the game, right? So I think, you know, for a lot of players, and, and you've seen this, like, with its I saw this the other day where it's like Andrew Bynum had the, the the body of a hall of famer, but he didn't have the same love for the game. And it's funny because I, I, I loved Andrew Bynum when he was playing. For the, by the way, I'm not a Lakers fan, but I loved Andrew Bynum when he, <laughs> when he played for the Lakers. And it, it you know, it, it goes back to show you there's so many guys who just go into this uh, just to kind of play and, and get their career done with. They've been forced into this avenue there's a certain Canadian guy that I've heard a lot of stories about that is very similar. I'm not going to name drop, but I'm sure you guys can suggest who you think it is. Um, and it's just about people who have the motivation and the drive versus people who don't Siakam seems like the guy who is on the opposite end of that spectrum in terms of he's always had the drive, always had that motivation. He always talks about like, he doesn't care about criticism because he's always trying to get better himself. And he like welcomes criticism in a lot of ways. And you, you can hundred percent argue that the criticism that he received in the bubble was not warranted. And, and some of the things that, you know, Raptors fans, a portion of Raptors fans was saying was absolutely disgusting. But I, I, I would say, you know, in, in the same vein, taking that criticism, realizing it, being self-aware with it, and then processing it out into, you know what? I think it was because I wasn't as passionate in the game. I wasn't as into it as I thought I would be. And to realize that and to be self-aware, and I tweeted this the other day too. It's like th- these Raptors, the current Raptors that we have on the roster are insanely self-aware of themselves, which is like, I haven't seen from this many basketball players, like on a certain specific team, be this self-aware. They know what's what they're negative points are they know what their weaknesses are they're not afraid to express it and the fact that they kind of understand that I think all roots back to a guy like Kyle Lowry who's super self-aware but Pascal having this self-awareness at this age um, is is incredible to me did I answer your question I feel like I just went on a tangent there but yeah I believe that you answered it in like three different ways None of which exclude the other one. I think that was a good answer. It's tough to answer in a linear fashion. And definitely you don't have to. As far as the team, agree 100%. I, it is rare to see a team, you have to start thinking of like early 2000 Spurs to reach that level of conscientiousness. And it's, it's one of the things I appreciate most about these Raptors is they are very conscientious. And the mental aspect of their game is treated as a real benefit to them and a real asset to have it kind of taken out from under them with the bubble is tough. And Pascal Siakam, you talked about the type of criticism he received. I don't think the process of his game was that bad in the bubble. I think that most of what he was trying to do, I wasn't upset with the shots he took. They just didn't drop. He just didn't make shots that he had made during the regular season. Ball handling clearly was at a lower rung than he's used to having it at. That led to more turnovers. That led to straight transition points for the Celtics in particular. And, you know, that's tough. But as you said, a small portion of the Raptors fan base had like abhorrent type of criticism, racist, xenophobic, terrible. I'll I'll just say one more thing about Siakam. Um, If you go back to like October 31st, whatever it was, November 2nd, when we played the Celtics 2019, right? Right. Completely different player. 
absolutely 100% completely different player. And I think when you look at the playoffs and you, you see the wide variation of Siakam's year, because it was up and down, up and down between the injuries, between the suspension, everything like that. You can't take that one sample of 28 games, 27 games, whatever it was in the bubble, and completely assume that, okay, that's this type of player. That's who Pascal Siakam is in the playoffs because we've seen it otherwise. It's not true. And we saw it throughout the season that it wasn't true as well. I, I just think it's, it's really unfair to, to assume something about a player based on 20-whatever games it was in the bubble. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's, that's all I'll say about Pascal. Yeah, it's the bubble is such an interesting case study because you have guys who aren't even all-star level or are pseudo all-stars like Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray who come in and have the shot-making profile of a prime McGrady or Bryant. Like the the amount of steps they took offensively was, I believe, unparalleled. I haven't seen somebody, and especially in tandem those two, take those steps at the same time was insane. So – there is the other side of the coin where you have a guy who's second team all NBA like Pascal and that was deserved. He was a second team all NBA player. You have him drop to a pseudo all-star level because his defense was still, I I thought he was the third or fourth best defender in all of the playoffs. I thought he was great. No, he was incredible. incredible. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) moving on to something that is a little bit more positive. I know you are very transparent in your love for Fred Van Vliet. I mean, your dog yeah. is named after Fred Van Vliet. It's a not only who- Fred Van Vliet. I'll, I, I want to put this out there. The dog is not only named after Fred Van Vliet. I have four very important. Freddie Gibbs. Fred- Am I right? Is it Freddie Gibbs? Gibbs? Freddie Gibbs is one. Freddie Gibbs is one. Uh, I was traumatized as a kid by Freddie Krueger. And to get over that fear, I named my dog Freddie. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's obviously Fred Van Vliet. And I love Queen, Freddie Mercury, baby. All right. Another one bites the dust. Okay. So, so yeah, I, there's four very important Freddies in my life and uh, I had to go with Freddie, buddy. But anyways, yes, Fred Van Vliet was, was definitely one of the choices for that. Okay. Follow-up question. Fred Van Vliet, when you extend Fred out to Freddie, even though his name is Fred Mund, which I mean, hey, he represents how stark with a name like that, but Fred Mund <laughs> He's called Freddy, so it ends in a Y. The yeah. other three Freddies, or maybe Freddy Krueger, I'm not sure what his name ends in, but there's the IE versus yeah, the yeah. Y. But at yeah. the very least, Freddie Gibbs and Freddie Mercury, how is Freddie spelled for your dog? I go IE. I don't, I don't discriminate against people that go DY. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't hate people who go Freddie with the Y, the two Ds and the Y. That's totally cool with me. I don't mind. You know, I don't hate. I'm cool. With I it. think uh, like, Freddie. It's Gibbs. like my own name. It's it's honestly like my own name. You can you can na- say whatever name you'd like for me. Uh, yesterday at 680 News, the person who was introducing me said Estefandiar, and I'm like, you know what? That's pretty freaking cool. Estefandiar <laughs> is a nice name. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> that's too bad, man. <laughs> anyway, okay. I know you love Freddie. Yeah. What parts of his game, if he were to make a jump this year, because that's not certain but he also shows a real skill for improvement. And, you know, improvement doesn't last forever, but he's 26, almost 27. There's still, he can still do some stuff. What, do you, what improvements do you think he makes this year? And considering you're an optimist, I want to hear some good stuff. <laughs> okay. All right, I got you. Um, I, I think 
one of the things that I really want him to develop, and I think that he will develop, is the in-between game, uh, whether it be some kind of floater, whether it be some kind of teardrop that he wants to go, or, or even like a mid-range pull-up. Although I, don't, I, I think it's more likely that he goes for the mid-range pull-up versus the floater. I would love mm-hmm. for Fred to have a floater in his game, to be honest with you, just because I think he has a soft enough touch to be able to do that. Same thing with Siakam. We were talking about it earlier. I think Siakam would, would develop such a nice floater as well, just because they have incredible touch around the rim. So it would just, it would make so much sense. Um, I think that's the thing that I'm looking forward to the most with Freddie is the in-between game and to figuring out how he can, that's that area of the court is like, you don't necessarily have to guard him to be honest with you in this stage of his career. But if he were to develop that, then he can, he's essentially a three level scorer at that point. Um, I think, I think that's, that's probably what I would say. Everybody's going to say the playmaking. Everybody's going to say, Oh, I, I, I hope he's a better pick and roll playmaker. I hope he can. And I agree that all should happen. I think it's going to take more time. Uh, I think it, because he's been so used to being the off the ball guy, the catch and shoot guy um, that we're slowly transitioning him into being the main playmaker. And that'll just, that'll come with more time. It's not going to happen this season. Might not even happen next season, but it, it's it's going to be something that he develops into his more veteran stage of his career, in my opinion. That's what I think. Um, but I think something that he can tangibly improve on this year is an in-between game, which is a mid-range jumper, floater, whatever you want to call it. Something in that area of the court that can make him a threat when he's when he's driving to the rim so that people don't know that he's automatically going to either pass it out or get blocked, get blocked at the, at the rim. Okay, so let's rank these in terms of importance. The floater near the rim, obviously very important because Fred is yeah. small, has incredible touch and feel, but still has really poor finishing numbers at the rim. Yeah. A floater would definitely help deter big men from tracking his steps and just blanketing him at the rim. It would help a lot. The yeah. mid-range jumper would come in it would be very very helpful in the playoffs to punish dropping big men and then the creativity in his passing in the pick and roll Kyle Lowry famous for making poppers and rollers really valuable because he delivers them straight lines to the rim Freddie much better at creating to the corners he gets to like the 45 or 45 extended finds a seam to like Pascal in the corner or OG in the corner yeah. He's good at that play, but very it's rare to see Freddie lead a guy straight to the bucket in the pick and roll. Of those three things, how would you order them in terms of what you want most? Mm, mm, mm-hmm. I like orders. I like rankings. That's fine. Uh, I'll, I'll go with the I'll go with the mid range first because you're right. It's it, it would kill drop coverages coverages in the playoffs. Um, I think that's super super important. Um, I would probably go with the playmaking next because I just think it's it's eventually going to happen. Even if it doesn't happen this year, and if it's not like a if it's not something because we still have Lowry this year, ladies and gentlemen, just to, just in case you guys didn't know, Kyle Lowry still is a Toronto Raptor. You don't have to sing his eulogy just yet, but um, it, you know, I, I think the playmaking will eventually come. And then after that, I would probably say the floater. Although I, I would like Freddie to have a floater. I think out of, out of the ones that I'm most uh, like, I'm most wanting or yearning for, it would be the floater just because I think it would be cool for a, a little guy like him to have this awesome floater, you know? I think I would order it the same way. And I think the mid-range jumper can affect the other aspects. Like if that mid-range jumper comes, I think it opens up the other avenues quite a bit. But if he 
if he's a better playmaker to the middle, that doesn't guarantee that he's going to shoot from the mid-range because he's open in the mid-range lots anyway. It's just there's that he's small. You feel crowded in the middle of the court. There's people lurking. It's tough to want to pull up, which is why Fred obviously was more comfortable rather than work on a mid-range game, works on shooting three-pointers like pull-up that are three feet back of the line, which is great. But I think the mid-range game, if that comes and that comes first, naturally the finishing will go up as will the playmaking because he'll just draw a little bit more coverage. It'll be. Would you also also say shot selection? Do you think shot shot selection is also something that Freddie should improve on? Because I mean, everybody talks about, um, you know, the kind of shots he was taking in game seven, especially the last one, although it was, it's kind of like a hail Mary prayer type of shot. Um, Do you think, the shot selection is something that he should also get better at. I mean, everybody should get better at it, but. Um, I think he's limited sometimes like he over dribbles. Yes. Yeah. But the Raptors, I don't think it's fair, even though Fred received more screen help than Siakam did last year. I don't think it's fair to frame Siakam as the only guy who had a lack of creativity from the offensive structure that didn't mm-hmm. help him. Freddie also had a lot of possessions just dumped on him and said, hey, do something. So his shot selection, I actually don't find that bad. Sometimes he forces things at the rim when there's clearly a guy on his hip who's much bigger. And you can see it coming from a mile away. He picks up the ball near the free throw line, takes his two steps, and Does is blocked or, yeah, or just completely whiffs on the layup. That's not great. But it's not often enough that I think it's something that is a super big detriment to the team. Everyone can improve their shot selection a little bit. But I think if Fred is able to... Yeah, I don't don't think the shot selection is a big deal. I think sometimes he over dribbles, but that can be related to just him going somewhere with the ball, not being able to find an avenue to the rim or an avenue to the bucket. And then you're looking at a guy who's just trying to find it some sort of creation for his team in the moment with the possession. So I don't think it's a big deal. It's something that hopefully the Raptors can improve upon because every player can stand to have their shot selection improved. But I don't think it's a super big deal for him. Okay. All right. Okay. Very interesting. Because I, I see it all the time on Twitter where it's like, uh, can, can, can Van Vliet just take the right shot? He's forcing it. He's doing this. And I, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a gripe I have, but uh, I digress. I think that's, yeah, that's more related to not having the ball in Kyle Lowry's hands. But I don't think that's, I don't think Fred is taking the ball out of Lowry's hands. If Lowry wanted the ball, I think he'd have it. So, yeah, that's just Lowry can't have the ball every time. And if you're a fan of basketball, of course, you want to see Lowry creating more than almost anybody else. His interpretations of the four are really high level. So you see a guy like Fred, who is by all means a very good player. But mm-hmm. he just he doesn't create the same way Lowry does, and he doesn't have all the same advantages that Siakam does. But the the place he exists in the Raptors' offense is extremely important. But to switch to something else, I know you're a big fan of Paul Watson. I know it. Yeah. I see you talk about it, and mm-hmm. he, among other guys, is like an end of rotation player if things go well for him. Yeah, if things go really well for him. He can kind of be like a punchy shot creator in the eighth, ninth man role. And maybe the Raptors find a way to use him more often. Which end of rotation guy stands to make the biggest leap this year? I mean, is, is Rico going to give us another one? You know, 
is is Rico really going to bless us with another perennial talent type of guy? Because if he does, then the answer is Paul Watson. Because you know they were in the lab, if you want to quote unquote Blake Murphy, um, say, saying that they were in the lab working together uh, with Pascal. If if it's Paul Watson, it, I mean, all signs do lead to a guy like Paul Watson making the jump. But I feel like I do talk about Paul a lot, so let's go for another guy. I think uh, Matt Thomas is is another guy who is going to be end of the bench. You consider Matt Thomas an end of the bench guy, right? Yeah, he he was like ninth, tenth man last year, and well, even eleventh in some games, right? So I think it's fair to say that he's making that jump this year. He's the guy I think everyone says, okay, he has the easiest roadmap to more minutes and more possessions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, look with, with Chris Finch, like he was emphasizing spacing so much in his press conference that I think a guy like Matt Thomas is just, just going to benefit so much. Um, Another thing is he loves to push on the fast break and get those outlet passes. And who's a guy that loves to do outlet passes. It's Kyle Lowry. I just think guys like Paul Watson, guys like Matt Thomas, who who would be good in the fast break, they're going to benefit so much if the Raptors run like they did last year, and if they have the the fast break chances that they had last year. It just it makes the most amount of sense. I think Matt Thomas is is due for a kind of leap. I don't know what kind of minutes he's going to be getting. To be honest with you, if it's going to be in the fifteen to twenty range, or if it's going to be less than that, but um, you know, those two guys are probably my biggest bets. Um, uh, you, you'll see a lot of people on Twitter say Chris Boucher, and I have a lot of faith in Chris Boucher, but I think there is the physical aspect that he still needs to improve on and get better at, and he needs to realistically just bulk up a little bit more. I don't want you to attack me, Chris Boucher, just like you did Will Lou. I don't need that type of smoke in my life. Thank you very much. But I, I do think that's an aspect that Boucher needs to get better at um, bulking up and, and getting a little bit stronger, especially if he wants to body down low with some bigs. But, but if I had to pick one of the rotation guys, it'd probably be Matt Thomas. Yeah. Matt Thomas is a good guess. It's just, there's such an easy roadmap for him to get there. And yeah, 12, 15 minutes, I think to start the year, if he's really explosive off ball, if the Raptors find that his defensive shortcomings aren't so short, you know, if he moves well enough within the defense, you'll probably see that start to creep up to 18. It remains to be seen. I think there's like three guys who are all supposed to be around 12, 15 minutes to start the year. And they're, it's Boucher, Malachi Flynn, and Matt Thomas. And those guys, depending on, you know, how it shakes out, we either see their minutes increase or, you know, decrease. And I think probably Boucher will put up numbers especially if he gets to play with like a Lowry plus bench unit, he'll put up numbers for sure. Like it wouldn't be surprising to me if Boucher had double digit scoring numbers this year. It it truly wouldn't He can pop off pretty quickly. And then if you're looking at Matt Thomas, Malachi Flynn, I'd expect Malachi Flynn to get some early minutes and then to have them taken back a little bit, because I think Matt Thomas's spacing will kind of eat a little bit of his minutes, but I mean, it, it really depends. There's a whole season to play out in front of us that is going to be super interesting. And if Paul Watson can find room for some on-ball wiggle, you know, there's like two or three minutes a game where he's kind of like the guy with the ball as a, you know, a secondary action initiator or a primary initiator. I'd be really happy with that because I think he is like, he has that downhill wiggle. He can get a guy off a brush screen and then with a defender in front of him in the paint. I think he makes good decisions. So I, I'm excited. There's, there's a lot of things to like at the back end of the Raptors roster. 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited just because, you know, every year it seems like there's this one guy from the Raptors that that kind of makes his way up into the rankings. Uh and it's it's kind of it's kind of become a, a shtick between Raptors fans to see which one is gonna be this year. So it, it'll be interesting. I I think you were right in terms of Thomas has the easiest route. I think Flynn in a lot of ways might have the easiest route because he can he can also do some of the stuff that that Thomas does, but um he's probably a little bit better of a defender. Uh, so uh, I mean, rookie again. So I don't know if he's going to translate well into being a defender in his first year, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I man, with that defensive player of the year nod he got in college in his conference anyway. I I hope he'll he'll be really good on ball because he's he's a tenacious on ball guy. But again, in college, everybody is smaller pretty much. So yeah, you go to the NBA, maybe he's not as affecting. He was also in a pretty bad conference from what I've been told. So like I take that with a grain of salt, right? Yeah. Who's to say really another question for you All and right. uh, hopefully a good one. So without including Lowry or Van Vliet, what is the three man unit you want to see used most often for the Raptors? Most often. Okay. All right. Excluding Lowry and Van Vliet. Uh, I would love to see Pascal, uh, OG and then insert player here. But I, I think let's go Pascal OG and I like Norm. Let's go Pascal OG Norm. Why not? I, I don't mind it. I feel like I think Norm, despite the the trade talk that everybody has, I think he's going to have a really, really solid start. So I think I'll go Norm OG Pascal, I just I I like the mix of those players. Those guys are my guys. You're making me not include Lowry or Van Vliet, which is which which are two of my guys. So it's okay. But but I'll go that. If I can do a bench one, can I do a random bench one? Yeah, do your thing, man. Okay. All right. We'll go. We'll go Malachi Flynn. All right. We'll go Matt Thomas. And and just to just to spruce things up a little bit, why don't we go with the Paul Watson? We we talked about all three of those guys just now. Let's throw them all into a three three uh, three man lineup there to see what would happen. I I just think a Flynn Thomas backcourt would be either completely exposed on defense or be electrifying on offense. So I, I I'm willing to take the risk and see how it would go. And then I like Paul Watson, so I'd put I'd put him in there as well. That would be really interesting. Just no reliance on other people, like out of the frying pan, into the fire. See if those three guys can make it work. They represent each of them a decent ceiling in what they can bring to the NBA. So yeah, I like that one a lot. Your initial answer with OG, Pascal, and Norm, that is, you know, that is the makings of at least part of the Raptors' ideal, in my eyes, closing lineup. So I like that three-man unit a lot. That's, That's very good. Okay, so we've reached the part of the podcast where we're going to do the accents speed round. And we're okay. putting you through the ringer, sir. So oh, I found that right. among your accents that you can do, Boston, Californian, Canadian, Mexican, New York City, Southern American, Texas, upper class oh, Massachusetts, wait, you, Cockney, you, you, Liverpool, <laughs> London. Okay, so... <laughs> Oh We're man! Run you, through them, all right. Is this is this from the is this from one of those profiles? One of those acting profiles? Listen, I never <laughs> reveal my sources. Okay, I'm a professional. All right. Oh, the way I the way I bullshit my way through that, but let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Accent speed around. Use whatever phrase you like, and you can pick uh, three of these, and I'll 
endure the embarrassment with you. So if you feel like you want to hear me do a specific one, just say, Sam, you got to do this one and I'll do it too. Okay. So first up, Boston. Uh, all right. Yeah. The khakis. Give me the khakis over there. All right. Um, give me the khakis. What, what are you talking about? Oh, that's kind of New York. What are you talking about? Come on. Stop busting my balls. Oh, my God. You, you, you're distru- No, yeah, I can't do it. Uh, I can't do a Boston accent. The, the only thing I'd know is khakis. Give me the khakis. Yeah, my go-to is uh, ball pack. Ball yeah, pack. we're going down to catch the game at the ball pack. Ball pack. Okay. Ball pack. <laughs> Californian. They don't have an accent. I was confused when they put that down there too. I was really, I just put that down there because I was like, yes, I can talk like a normal human being, but I guess um, I'll, I'll do like a, a bougie accent. Yes. I, um, I was recently at Beverly Hills and we were talking about what we would do with, uh, you know, all of the different uh, help that we get. We call them the help. It's, it's amazing. Um, you know, they're, it's actually Molly made, but don't tell the Jenners. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. This is my, that's California. like a, a Hills accent. Yeah. Good, I, enough, I don't know. good enough for me. Okay. Right. Canadian accent. Are you just speaking or do you have like a, a Newfoundland accent? Oh, like I, something I, like that? Yeah, I guess I, uh, no, I don't really, I don't really have, uh, no, no, I don't have a Canadian accent. Okay. But we'll give it a try. We'll give it a try. Um, you're actually pretty good at the Canadian accent with your hockey thing. You're actually good at that. I really like that. The, when you do the, oh, come on, <laughs> put the puck in the, put the puck in the whatever. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's good. It's good. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, you caught me off guard with this. God damn it. All right. <laughs> okay. To avoid any type of problem, uh, we won't do the Mexican accent. I bet you have a good New York accent in you. I, I feel like you do. Yeah. All right. Um, all right, so let me let me see what I got. Actually, let me let me see if I have anything to read here. Um, hey, oh, how are the Suns the third best team? Talking about how how, how does the how does the play in all right? How does the play in affect the team's approaches when they go into the season? I'm talking about the last 48 hours for Raptors fans. I promise you, I promise the last 48 hours has been tumultuous. It's been stomach churning. It's been everything that you ever promised. I I promise you. Uh, I'm interested to hear Texas. I, I, I want Texas and I want it okay. bad. All right. Okay. All right. All right. You know, you know, let's, let's see what I got. I actually, I have a monologue that I had to do for an audition. Let me see if I can find it. It's right here somewhere. Uh, something about like candish apples. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. When I take a succulent bite out of uh, Danish farms and Swedish apples, uh, I, I, I go into another zone, man, I promise. And, you know, when it comes to those Danish farms, I take one bite and I wish I had another. Swedish farms and Danish apples. One bite, you'll wish you had another. That's all I remember from the audition, but yeah. That's pretty damn good. I like that <laughs> one a lot. Okay. We're talking about this before the podcast, but Liverpool accent, let's have it. Yeah, all right, all right. Who's you to talk to me about that? Ah, oh, it's, it's disgusting, lad. It's disgusting. I, I don't understand. Who's you? Okay. Yeah. Cockney, Cockney I promise accent. you, I promise you the who's, knee, who's you is like a signature in Liverpool. <laughs> um, Cockney, Cockney accent. Let's see. Um, Cockney is like regular British. So it's like, 
Um, well, yes, here we're talking to Samson Folk and, and, you know, him and his folks, they, they decided to change their last name to Folk to confuse a bunch of people. And uh, because when, when they say they're going to their folks house, then they decide, you know, which folk is it? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, bloody hell. Uh, yeah. I thought that Cockney was, and I've never been in the UK, so I have no idea. My initial know. idea was like, it would be like the Michael Caine accent. Oh, oh okay, okay. It okay, sounds okay, kind of like this in the Cockney accent. Yeah, yeah. Done in That's this pretty type good. of way, in this type of manner. Shout out to Michael Caine, by the way. Just <laughs> the, the Alfred of our times. What a, what a great man. What a, okay. Yeah. One last one. It's okay. the London accent. That, that, I think I just did the London accent, honestly. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see what we got here. Let's see. I'm just pulling out. I, I have monologues. Where are these monologues? A camera is found by a quiet woman in the 50s, but it's not just any camera. It's not from her time. She begins using it with her friends as they boating and vacationing. One of her friends... Denver Tyler, a police officer from UK, the other, a lover she met while vacationing. Her best friend, Cheryl, is Denver. Her girlfriend, a police officer by the name of Mike Schreer, is handling the investigation of the missing bodies. Richmond, Virginia is where they're from. They're a rich bunch that travels a lot. Murders in three separate locations, Birmingham, United Kingdom, Buenos Aires, Argentina, and Richmond, Virginia. The woman is getting framed. There you go. I like that one. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, one last question. All right. I have sources that say December 10th, 2010, the day before you got fired, what job did you get fired from? Oh, I don't even know. Uh, December 10th, 2010. What did I get fired from? Um, I've gotten fired from quite a bit of jobs, ladies and gentlemen. But I, I, I've also, wow, this is, that's probably not a great thing to say when I'm, when I'm walking into a new job. Um, I've also, I've worked at a lot of places. I've worked at like Canadian Tire, Home Depot, McDonald's, Walmart. Um, I've, I've done Nike Outlet Store, Best Buy. I, literally any job I could get my hands on, I worked on. But December 10th, 2010. I was, um, I, but so before I went to the university of Liverpool, I did a couple of semesters in UFT for business and I hated it. Absolutely despised it. I think I just got into it because all my friends were getting into business and I was like, Oh yeah, I'll just, I'll do what you guys do. Um, and, and I, I went into it, hated it, absolutely hated it, but I ended up getting a co-op job from it and it was this marketing co-op job and I was way in over my head like way in over my head. They, they had me like doing different algorithms. And, and then like three days in, I pretty much told them, I'm like, look, I don't really like this job. This is not for me. And um, yeah, I bounced. But I, I honestly, I wish I didn't bounce because um, the, the world we live in now is what they were doing back in 2010, which is like figuring out different algorithms for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if I knew that, I'd be getting all these followers on y'all all these followers on your head top, you know? So. How old were you in 2010? I was 10 years ago. So I was 16, <laughs> 15. They're giving you algorithms at 16? Yeah, Whoa, it was that's great. incredible. I, it was way over my head, dude. I was like, dude, this is, this is not for me. This is, no, yeah. They're like, find out what the human condition is for us, <laughs> S, and get back to us, okay? Exactly. And then go to math class. <laughs> all right, man. 
I feel like we covered a lot of ground today. I, yeah. I had a few more. I had a few more invasive questions, but we'll leave them out because I feel like uh, I no, don't no, have no. recall about what I was doing ten years ago. But wait, no, no, no. I I like them. Throw, throw them my way. Throw them my. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it. Give it to me. Okay. What what jobs did you work that involved the night shift around October of 2011? Nice. Um, yeah, uh, that was Best Buy. That was 100% Best Buy. I was. I was working uh, what what they call as the Christmas shift. So from October, we get all of our Black Friday Boxing Day stock and it goes all the way until December 28th, 29th. And pretty much all you're doing throughout the night shift is you are unpacking boxes, unpacking things, hanging them up onto the store, making sure the store is stocked, putting stuff onto shelves and, and doing that. All I did was listen to music, make music, and practice rapping while I was working it, which was really fun. Um, and yeah, that's that's all I did at the time. It was it was I actually really liked the overnight job. Now that I think about it, but my sleep schedule was in shambles. So yeah, that's by. How long so. did it take to write around me? Ooh, how long did it take to write around me? Uh, not that long, man. Maybe like maybe like a couple of days. I uh, I don't. I take my time, like the, the, my boy that I make music with, he's, he's so incredible in terms of he'll just freestyle and he'll just go off the top. I really like to take my time with it and like cultivate like a really, really good, just 16, give, give him 16 of the, of the meanest I got. But um, yeah, yeah. It, it took probably a couple of days to write and record. All right. Yeah. I feel illuminated about early, early life S. I, I, know, I feel, I know. uh, I feel like I'm I'm satisfied about some of the answers I got. I feel like uh, it's a good place to end the podcast. We talked about some things regarding basketball, some things regarding music, some things regarding 10 years ago, algorithms, and a marketing firm that was way ahead of the class. So, yeah, oh, yeah they man. were killing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I, I guess the, the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, since this might be the last thing I do for Raptors Republic, I, I want to say like, there's never been like a, a cooler bunch of people, a nicer bunch of people that I've got to talk and interact with than you guys. So I, I thank you for being so awesome. And so being so cool, shout out to everybody. I, I'm not going to do the whole names thing. Cause I know I'm going to forget people, but uh, shout out to all you guys. Uh, thank you. Thank you for, for helping me along my journey. And, and, you know, I, I genuinely, I promise you guys, I would not be to the point where I am without all of you guys. So thank you. Seriously. Yeah. Well, you're well loved over here and now you get to go work with one of my favorite writers doing it, Joe Wolfond. So I'm, hey. I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm excited too. I heard he's a big Pacers fan. I don't know. Yeah, he's, he, he does love the Pacers. He loves a lot of underappreciated teams. But S, the floor is yours. Feel free to tell the people what to read, listen, do, whatever you want, man. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, you know, check out Samson at, at Raptors Republic. He's an incredible writer. Did you not hear his verbiage earlier? Like the dude was throwing out Genesis out of nowhere. I just, unbelievable. But um, yeah, listen, listen and watch and read Raptors Republic always. Um, but I guess for me, you can, you can find my Twitter at just S Barahini. Uh, you can find my Instagram. Yo, follow me on Instagram, B. Yo, follow me on Instagram. Cause <laughs> I promise, yo, it's actually popping out there. It's not that fun. We don't do a lot of basketball debates. We don't do nothing like that, but follow me at just S top TV. Uh, and then, you know, just check out the score every now and then to see my, uh, maybe we'll, we'll see some new stuff from me at some point in time. Do you have any hints about something we might be able to expect? 
I don't know. I don't know. I really like the conundrum that is the middle of the Western Conference. Anything after the Lakers and the Clippers up until the Timberwolves, I'm just so interested in that log jam of teams. They're all just so good and amazing but flawed that is it's just so interesting to me so i i don't know maybe maybe one of those teams over there we'll see we, we shall see i just uh i finished recording an hour-long episode of a podcast with uh evan guaberto on yes. the timberwolves so i that team man that interests me a lot too so i'm excited to see your your take on the middle of the west i'm, uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it okay all right we'll all see. right man a huge thank you for coming on. This was an absolute blast. And thank you for being such a good sport. Yeah, no, no. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was, it was a lot of fun to do. Shout out to everybody who listened. All right, listener. That's it for you. That's it for me. That's it for us. We're about to get out of here. But whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, another thank you to our guest. But have a blessed day and goodbye.